Hi, everyone. I am Emily Landers, and this is How'd She Do That? A podcast answering that question each episode. I am so looking forward to sharing this conversation with my new friend, Becky Wade. But before we dive into the conversation, I wanted to say a quick thank you to those of you who have left us a review on iTunes. That is one of the best ways for new listeners to find How'd She Do That? And my hope is that this podcast would have many listeners because I think many women would be encouraged by these conversations. Again, the hope for How'd She Do That? is that these conversations become an archive of amazing resources for you to be thinking through your next steps in your career, whether you're a recent graduate or you're pivoting. I hope that within these conversations, you'll hear how other women have done things that you may want to do, and it can put you towards the path of success. Today's conversation is going to be one everyone will love and really enjoy, but it's going to be especially insightful for those of you who may have thought about writing. Perhaps you've dreamed of becoming an author. Well, my friend Becky Wade is just that. She's an author of multiple award-winning books, and she was such a joy to have on the podcast. We had so much fun connecting over Dallas, our shared love of that city, and I really enjoyed hearing about Becky's passion behind writing and how originally the inspiration for writing actually came to her when she and her husband were living on a tropical island in the Caribbean, because where else are you going to be more inspired to write your first novel? Becky talks a lot about different tools that new authors or people who would like to begin writing can use, and there's a lot of practical resources. So you guys are going to want to listen in and hear more from my friend Becky Wade. Again, thank you so much, Becky, for joining me on the podcast. I know that my listeners are going to love it, and you guys are going to want to read her books. So without further ado, here is my friend, Becky Wade, on How'd She Do That? Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of How'd She Do That? Today's guest was born and raised in California and throughout her childhood loved producing homemade plays starring her sisters, friends, and cousins. These plays almost always featured a heroine, a prince, and a love story with a happy ending. She's been a fan of all things romantic ever since. Becky and her husband lived overseas before settling in Dallas, Texas, and it was during her years abroad that Becky's passion for reading turned into a passion for writing. She published three historical romances before putting her career on hold for many years to care for her kids, but eventually returned to her passion for writing. She's the Christie and Carol award-winning author of My Stubborn Heart, the Porter Family series, and the Bradford Sisters romance series. When she isn't enjoying time with her family, she is likely encouraging other authors, writing, playing tennis, or carting her kids around town. Becky Wade, welcome to How'd She Do That? Thank you so much for having me, Emily. I'm um, delighted to chat with you today. I am so happy that you're here. And this is really fun because I think that our introduction was actually through my dad. I don't know if we've ever met in person. 
That's right. Your dad is the pastor of Park City's Baptist Church in Dallas, where my family has attended for many, many years. I think coming up on about 20 years, we've been going Um, there. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I feel like I know all of you through him and uh, the things that I, you know, he shared from the pulpit over the years. Oh oh my gosh. Well, I am so happy that he connected us. I think he knows your heart and passion behind writing and all that you've done. Very successful author. And I'm just a a self-published recent author. And so I think he just thought, gosh, you guys are going to be friends. And as I was thinking more about you today and this week leading up to this conversation, I was like, yeah, we are, especially when I saw your amazing kind of time living abroad. I'd love to hear just all about you and a Baylor girl. I love it. So I'd love to kind of hear your journey. Um, A lot of my listeners are actually during the post-grad season of life. Many of them are wondering what might be next. I'd love to hear kind of the beginning of of your career and your marriage and kind of what was going on during that time. Sure. So yes, as you mentioned, I attended Baylor after having grown up in California and I absolutely loved it. I majored in business and oh. had intended to go into a sort of corporate route with okay. my professional life. And then I made the life-changing decision to um, marry my husband. And so actually, really shortly after I graduated, we married. And we had both loved the idea of traveling and seeing some of the world during that phase of our lives. And so he took a job in the Caribbean, actually, on the small island of Anguilla. And the two of us set out there together. We were in our 20s. And we just, I think, recognized that that was the time to take some of those opportunities to live overseas and to travel. You know, we didn't have a mortgage at that time. We didn't have children We didn't even have a pet, (laughs) so we were able just to set off with nothing in our suitcases except clothing and make a life for ourselves on this little Caribbean island. We had a home that was provided for us that was already furnished, Wow! and he worked at a fantastic resort called Cap Jaluca, which is still open and running, and he was their tennis pro. He had played oh, tennis for Baylor, and he had been a tennis pro for a few years after he had graduated prior to when I graduated. And we lived there for three years. Wow. Now, one of the things about Anguilla is that they are very protective of jobs for their local people. Mm. And so when I got there, here I had this freshly minted college degree, and I was ready to get to work, but I found myself in an environment in which they would not issue me a work permit because I didn't have a skill set like my husband did, which qualified him to work there because he had a skill set that no one else on the island had. No one else was qualified to teach tennis, Wow! but many other people were qualified to do business type jobs. And so here I was for three years with um, not a lot to do. And so I started volunteering and playing tennis and I began to fill my life with some really wonderful things. But I had always loved to read, Mm -hmm. never once considered that I might attempt to write anything until I was in that situation. So I do think that sometimes in life, We can have a plan for the way that we're going to go, and then the situation 
intervenes and we find ourselves, you know, in a circumstance that we maybe didn't expect and our choices are limited in ways we didn't know. Right. And that was me. And so for the first time, because of that um, predicament that I was in, I thought to myself, well, I have time and I have an imagination and I have a computer. So maybe I could attempt to write something. And so I sat down and began writing what turned out to be a tremendously long manuscript. (laughs) (laughs) And I wrote it purely just fueled by passion and love for it. Because shortly after I started writing it, I fell in love with writing. And that is a love that hasn't left me for all of these years. And so for four years after that, Emily, I just wrote manuscript after manuscript and I got nothing but rejections. We were there for three years, and then he was transferred through his same tennis management company to Perth, Australia. Oh my! We were able to live there for one year, which we loved. We actually would have stayed there longer, except that he was offered the job that he still has to this day in Dallas while we were in Australia, and we thought, you know what? This job offer is too good to pass up, and so we came home from Australia back to America, and he took that job. Wow. So we, we, yeah, for four years, we were overseas and I was writing during most of that time. And then when we got back to America, by that point, when I could have gone into the corporate slash business world, like I had initially planned for myself, I was so invested in writing, you know, it had become something that was my big dream, my big goal. And my husband was super supportive because he said, you know, you pursue that Mm -hmm. and I'll support us both while you pursue that dream and we'll just see what happens. And so that's what we did at that point. That's amazing. And so there's a few manuscripts that you're saying went off and it was not maybe not, not, not well received, but people, they didn't jump at it. So how is it that for those four years, you're continuing to send off manuscripts? Are you sending off multiple? What does that look like? And when you're doing this and when, as you're writing, what is the timeline with the kiddos? Cause I know that you actually were able to publish a few books before the kids. So what did that time frame look like? And how many manuscripts are you sending off? Is it the same one or different ones? I'm curious. Back in those days, it was in the late 90s. Okay. And well, I started writing it more in the early 90s, like probably right around 1994. Okay. I didn't get published until 1998. So in those days, traditional publishing was the only route. If you wanted your book read, that was the only option you had. And also in those days, you were truly, literally mailing off your manuscript <laughs> through wow, the mail yes. back and oh my forth gosh. to publishers and to literary agents. And for the most part, I, I, would, finish a no- I would finish a novel and then I would begin submitting that one. And I would submit that the whole time I was writing another one. And right around the time that I was finishing the next one, was when I sort of had to admit to myself, okay, I've already submitted this last one everywhere I could, and I've received, you know, unhindered rejections <laughs> and nothing else. And so it's time to put that late, that earlier manuscript away and focus on this new one that I've just completed. And now I'll start submitting it. So okay. it was sort of like I submitted one at a time until I'd exhausted all the opportunities for that one. 
Oh, wow. So what was it like when the first one was picked up? I mean, you got the news via mail. Was it congratulations or was it, hey, we want to hear more? What did that look like? In writing circles, we had a term for that and it was quote unquote, the call because you would wait to receive a phone call from an editor and almost all of the editors are concentrated in New York City. Certainly Mm -hmm. they were at that time and that's still largely true. And that is exactly what happened to me. One day I was sitting in my little home office writing and my phone rang, like a, a desktop phone, not even a cell phone, like my right. desktop <laughs> phone <laughs> rang. And I answered it. And she said, this is Monique Patterson of Avon Books. And I loved your book and I would like to buy it. And I was so astonished and thrilled. It was one of the most euphoric moments I'd had because there was just so much doubt and uncertainty wrapped up in those years of writing. You know, you never have any guarantee with traditional publishing that anyone is ever going to buy a book of yours. Right. And so to receive that call and hear those words was just phenomenal. An amazing moment I will never forget. That is. And then I guess from there, what does it look like after the book gets picked up? I know many of my listeners, likely some of them are probably tuning in because they love your books. Some of them might be curious about what it's like to be an author. So what is the next step? I mean, you have this, the call. And so the excitement of the call happens. I'm guessing from there, the, the even more work comes into your lap. Is that the case? That is the case. Yes. You then sign a contract with the publishing house that makes an offer to you. And then you diligently work to fulfill the contract. So it's typically set in the contract when you have to return the rewritten manuscript, because shortly after they will buy a book from you, they will read it and they will give you all kinds of revision requests. Right. And then you have to go back through the manuscript and integrate all of their requests and submit that by a certain date. And then there's typically a few more rounds of editing that you'll have to be involved with before mm-hmm. the book goes to print and is distributed. Oh my! So gosh. that's what things look like after that. You know, I then worked towards my deadlines. I had not had the deadline pressure prior to that. I had just had my own, you know, self-made goals. Yes. But working under contractual deadlines comes with its own level of intensity. And so I had to learn to sort of manage that. And I just fulfilled my contracts. And I did manage to publish three novels with Avon back in 99, 2000, and 2001. And then right as I had submitted my final manuscript in December of 2000, uh, that book did not come out until a year later because in the, tr- in the traditional publishing oh. world, books are in the pipeline for a long time. They're in the pipeline for anywhere between 11 months and 18 months. Oh, wow. So I submitted my last novel for Avon that was going to come out in 2001, just mm-hmm. days before I had my first child in December of um, 2000. Oh and my gosh. That ended up changing everything. I had yeah. intended to continue writing after I became a mother, but mm-hmm. in my case, I heard the Lord saying, Becky, in this season, I want you to focus on mothering your children. And also, I was completely overwhelmed by the job of being a mom. Like, I couldn't believe how hard yes. and challenging and overwhelming that alone was. Right. And 
I was burned out a little bit at that point from all of the deadlines and the years and years of writing and rejections and successes and failures. And also, I really very clearly heard the Lord saying just a no, a hard no to Mm -hmm. some of the content that had been in those historical romances for the general market. Mm. And so I just set it all aside. I just let go of it. And for seven years, I focused on raising my kids. Wow. Now, was that with your first child that you really thought, okay, this this author, this writing thing is going to be put on pause? Or even you may have had some points during that season that you thought it was done. D- did you ever feel that way? Did Or was it always, no, I think there's still a book in me. It was with my first child, Emily. And in fact, it was really soon after she was born. I would um, say within the first month even wow. that I had that epiphany and understood this writing thing is something that I am not going to be doing for the foreseeable future. And wow. it was a really um, difficult and heart-wrenching decision because, of course, this writing thing had been my great love. And I had worked so hard and I'd had so many dreams and aspirations wrapped up in it. When I did receive the call, my mind immediately tumbled forward to, I think I'm going to be able to make a career out of this. And maybe right. I you know, become an author that's well-established and make a living at this. And, you know, suddenly I had all these kind of hopes and expectations of what it could be. And then after just three books, it crashed and burned. And also, I forgot to mention, but this was a huge part of it too. My publisher did not offer me another contract because the sales of those three had not been successful enough to merit another contract. And so right when I had a baby, right when I hear the Lord saying, step away, was at the exact same moment that my publisher came to me and said, we can't offer you another contract. And so it was just this merging of events that led me to make that decision. And at that time, and for seven years after, I thought I was completely done and would never write another book again. So it was always a little sore spot in my heart that Mm -hmm. my writing career had ended on such a depressing, you know, sad. Right. Oh, my word. And so then it's so fun to think about your timeline because when we're in kind of a season of life that, like you said, there's a, it's almost like a pit, it kind of piddled out. It's like, okay, bye, writing, writing career. That was so fun and exciting. And I think a lot of my listeners, they can relate to different projects they may have had. But for you, you have the kiddos. And I'm so curious. I want to know what, how far apart they are in years, but seven years. And then from there, I can't wait to hear how it came back together. But what was the timeline with the kids? And then what was it at the end of kind of raising the kids and and getting them kind of up and and ready to, to be little people that you were able to say, you know what, I think I have a book in me? My first daughter is three years older than my son. Okay. And then... I experienced some infertility and two miscarriages Mm -hmm. and had always believed just that there was a third child out there for our family. It's kind of hard to explain that feeling, but if you have some moms who are listening, maybe they can relate to just this feeling of, I almost just sensed that there was Mm -hmm. one more baby that the Lord intended for us. And so we just kept trying and 
She is five and a half years younger than her brother. So from oldest child to youngest daughter is eight years. Okay. So what happened was, (laughs) this this story makes me laugh too, because during the seven years when I wasn't writing, I was very busy and had a super full life with my older two. They were babies and then they were toddlers. And then right around the time that I began to expect, I was expecting my third baby is when I heard the Lord saying to me, and it was actually at Park City's Baptist in the Great Hall during oh. worship service. Oh when my gosh, there I just would, got chills. <laughs> awesome. When there would be um, those times when you're standing and singing, mm-hmm. I feel like the Lord often just whispers truths yeah. into my life during those parts of the service. And I would, I began to hear the Lord saying to me, it's time. It's time to return to writing and this time to write something for my glory. Oh my gosh. And I thought, once I found out I was expecting, I thought, really, Lord? Because I just I just found out I'm going to have a third baby. And of course, with that first baby, that was part of what you know ended my writing. And so right. to hear him saying that to me right when I was beginning to expect a third baby, it seemed a little strange. But when I heard that call, simultaneous to that, I began to feel that old love of writing return. Mm. It was like, he didn't just give me the call, but he also breathed new life into an old passion because I had not wanted to write for seven years. It wasn't like, oh, I want to, but I'm I'm really flat out busy with these kids. It was more like, I don't want to. Right. I just want to do this with my children instead. But in that moment, when I began to hear him stirring that desire in me, it's also when suddenly I was really excited to sit down and try it again. And so that year, that school year, I had one in preschool and one in elementary school. Okay. And I cleared my schedule of all kinds of really good things, you know. Wonderful mm-hmm. things, Bible mm-hmm. studies and tennis and whatever mm-hmm. else I was doing during his preschool hours. And instead, I just told myself when he's in preschool, because it wasn't that many hours a week, honestly, I feel like it was maybe 15 hours all week or maybe right. even just 10. Right. For those hours, I'm just going to rush home, sit at my computer, and I'm going to write. And phenomenally, through the Lord's provision, during that school year, I wrote almost an entire novel oh my following God. those hours. Oh my. Now, which one was that? Which book was that? Yes. That was My Stubborn Heart. My first, it turned out to be my first Christian romance. So, what yes. happened was, oh I was almost, my goal was to finish it before the baby arrives, but mm-hmm. I think I was like two chapters from the end and she came two weeks early. So, oh. <laughs> so I didn't get to finish. And after she was born, because I wasn't on deadline or anything and I had no one waiting for it, mm-hmm. I just I just put it away and I didn't look at it for 10 months. Oh so this God. almost finished manuscript was just on my computer for 10 months while I was adjusting to life as a mom of yes. three. Yes. And then my mother and father-in-law are the heroes of this story because they came in and they said, 
we will come over and we will watch the baby or the kids or whoever's at home. We will watch them for you so that you can finish your book. And so that's what happened because of their generosity. I finished the novel. And like I told you, I had spent four years trying to get published the first time. But this time, the very first literary agent I sent it to said, I want to represent it. And she said, I know, I know which editor at which publishing house I think that this is a fit for. She's like, I'm going to send it to Sarah Long at Bethany House Publishers first. And she did. And Sarah Long at Bethany House Publishers ended up buying that book. And I've been with Bethany House Publishers ever since. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And to think about, I love this part of your story because I think a lot of moms can relate. I think a lot of young people can relate. Sometimes in life, there's that thing that's so in you to do. And for you, it's always been writing and the creativity that comes with that. But sometimes I think that the Lord will almost not take away that passion, but maybe numb it for a season so that he can do work in you in other ways. Because, oh my gosh, to be a mom and to be home with the kids and to be able to be all in with them, I know was such a gift. But I love that in your story, the turnaround was so fast on this book. That is incredible that that's how quickly this one got picked up. So I'm so curious, and I'm sure that my listeners are too, I would love a little insight into your creative process. How do you come up with these storylines, these characters? Because it's so interesting to me. Those of you who are listening, remember, Becky was a business major. So this isn't something that you were trained, you know, in school to to think up these creative characters and novels and storylines and settings. I would love to hear a little bit more about how you really honed that craft. Yes, you're exactly right. I was a business major. And <laughs> in my dealings and friendships with many, many authors, over many years now, I have learned that a lot of us did not pursue a creative writing degree in college. We didn't realize until later that writing was something that we wanted to do. And so many of us have had to educate ourselves on how to write Mm -hmm. later in the game and through other venues other than university courses or college courses. Right. And my encouragement to your listeners is that you can absolutely learn to write that way. Now, the craft of writing is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. I think that when I was starting out, I was feeling that writing was easier than it is because I would read a book and really talented authors make it look easy. You know, and so I, I, I felt qualified to write because I had been a lifelong reader. Mm-hmm. And what I didn't understand was that novel writing is a very important skill that you have to educate yourself on, just like almost everything else in life. Mm-hmm. And you can't just sit down and do it without learning a great deal. I mean, I, I, that's what I did with my first manuscript. I just sat down and wrote it. And I thought, this has really got a lot of potential. And then I sent it off and immediately heard back from people that I had made every rookie mistake that (laughs) an aspiring (laughs) author can possibly make. I had made them all in one manuscript. And it was at that point that I understood, okay, I'm not qualified to do this just because I've been a reader. I actually Mm -hmm. have to 
put in a lot of study mm-hmm. and understanding. So in my case, as far as where I gather my inspiration, yes. when I am about to launch into a new novel or a new series, mm-hmm. I will sort of begin to look at the world with the question of what if in my head at all times. And everything that I see and do and hear is potential fodder for a new story idea. So for example, when it was time for me to start writing the series that I'm writing now, I wanted to connect the characters in a way that wasn't through family ties because I had just completed two family series and I loved Mm -hmm. writing those, but I thought, okay, how can I connect characters in a different way? And it was right around the time that the boys on that soccer team were trapped in the cave in Thailand. Uh, uh, Was it Thailand or Indonesia? It was Yes. The two. They, uh, they, the little boys were on the soccer team and they went exploring in a cave and the water's monsoon rain came in and trapped them in the cave. And the entire world was captivated by their story, including me. You know, every day I would wake up and I would get the newest update on whether they'd been found. And then once they were found, had they been saved? And right. I was so drawn in by the story. And so my writer brain thought, okay, what if, what if I connect characters in a way that is similar to this? Right. What if I send a group of middle school kids from a church in Georgia on a mission trip down to El Salvador? Uh-huh. And what if while they're there, some of them are asked to return some sports equipment to a building? And what if while they're in the building, there's a 7.8 earthquake? And what if that traps these five kids together alone in the base of this building. And what if one of them has a cell phone and calls his parents? And so the parents alert the media and the whole world waits and watches and prays for their rescue. Wow. And what if the scientists and (laughs) architects determine that there's no way to get them out? The, The building has fallen in such a way that they can't be rescued and survive. Mm-hmm. And what if when they finally reach the kids, God does something completely miraculous mm. and he holds up a wall that has no reason to stay where it is. And that wall protects them so that uh, rescue workers can get them out. Wow. And what if these five kids are now adults and they've all been oh. marked by the trauma that they went through in completely unique and different ways? Mm-hmm. And so that's how I came up with the series was just one what if question at a time. And eventually that drew me to what became an entire series concept. That's incredible. And I think to think through the story that you just shared, and I'm familiar with your books, so I know that this is the case, but when you're writing those what ifs and that entire storyline that can be totally interchangeable to the reader in thinking through their own life. Is that something that you think of as you're writing? Like for me, as I hear that kind of story, you can think of things that you may be trapped in or ways that you may feel trapped in life and how God can move on your behalf. Is that something that you tie in uh, to the storyline that that you kind of think, okay, this is something that the reader can relate to? Because that sounds like something that I, as I'm reading, I would be thinking, okay, 
interesting how that ties in with the readers, their real life and what might be going on in their own life. Yes, very much so. I always hope to create very real and relatable characters. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, I do absolutely hope that readers can find something about the story, even if it's metaphorical, that they can apply to their own lives. So in my new book, Stay With Me, I use short first-person flashback scenes Mm -hmm. uh, between the chapters to tell the story of the earthquake and the the days that the kids were trapped down there together. Mm-hmm. And it's very much a metaphor for any of us being trapped by anything. You know, it's a metaphor for all of the things that can trap us in a dark cave mm-hmm. in our lives. Right. And at the end of the novel, I talk about how Jesus's body was once entombed in a dark cave as well, mm-hmm. but he wasn't left there. You know, after three days, the stone was rolled away and he wasn't forgotten and he was loved every minute of that time. And so are we. And so, yes, it's always something that I hope can become very much applicable and meaningful to the reader. And what's amazing for me as the author is that readers will email me or reach out to me on Messenger or some other way and they'll say, the Lord said this to me through the story. And sometimes it is something that I myself as the author didn't realize that he might say. So the Lord has the ability to speak in such an individual way into each reader's situation and heart that even, you know, me, the author didn't anticipate. And I love that about fiction. I love that people can live in the shoes of another person character, you know, another person, right? but understand real spiritual truths that apply to their own actual real life. Absolutely. That is amazing how you can kind of connect the dots and not just you, but how the Lord uses your creativity to encourage others. I'm curious, do you have a real memorable encounter with a reader that you maybe could share with us? I think it's so cool to hear the connects that you have with real people, because as you're writing these books and you've got the kids and and your family and you've got so much going on, all of our lives are so full, but especially for a mom, especially someone who needs quiet, needs inspiration, needs creativity. So to think about meeting the people that actually read your work, I'm sure is one of the most inspiring parts of your career, I would guess. Do you have any real memorable uh, meetings with a reader? Maybe it was a longtime reader that you were looking forward to to meeting in person. Have you had any encounters that you're just like, this is really why I do what I do? Yes. I have noticed that the Lord is incredibly faithful to use readers to encourage me often when I need oh. it most. Like oh. when the Lord senses that I'm down or I'm struggling that's often when I will hear from a reader. And I have have had a lot of wonderful encounters with readers face-to-face and through email and such. But one that sticks out in my mind was written by a foreign reader, actually. Oh. Um, my, my books have been translated into a few different languages. And she was in Poland. So cool. And she wrote me to say that she and her husband were thrilled to be expecting their first baby 
And then they learned that there was something wrong and they had to go through all of those really uh, heartbreaking appointments where you're so hopeful, but then you get bad news and then you're hopeful and you get bad news. And ultimately her pregnancy had to end in a miscarriage. And Mm. after that time she went home and she and her husband were at their house together and they were both just devastated. And she said that her husband, I think she had started my book this was my stubborn heart. She had started Mm -hmm. part of it uh, before the miscarriage and he picked it up and he read it out loud to her. And she said that tears just flowed down her face as he was reading. And I think that he read the entire remainder of the novel to her over a course of several days. And she said it was just the Lord's incredible way of ministering to them and just bringing them hope Mm -hmm. and um, reassurance mm-hmm. in those days. And so that one, I will never forget. That one touched me incredibly much. Absolutely. And what an incredible kind of encounter for someone overseas to be reading this book. And you have the ability to think back on the early mornings, the late nights, the the inspiration, the divine inspiration, which I think is one thing that I love about your work is that there is a divine element that you know these books are going to go further than you could ever take them even to the hands of that woman. So that's incredible. And I know too, you are so encouraging to other authors. You have so many great resources even on your website, and and we'll share that in a little bit. But I'd love to know some of your kind of tips perhaps for new authors, those looking to get into writing. You've already shared a ton of them. But if you could give a little brief to kind of quick course in, hey, this is what you should expect as an author, what this could look like for you. I'd love to know some of your your tips as kind of the expert of not just one book, but multiple books. What would you say to someone who is hoping to become an author, looking to write out their inspiration? What are some things you could maybe share with us that would be helpful? Yes. I mentioned one that is incredibly key, and that is to educate yourself on the craft of writing. Yeah. And there are many ways to do that. I think one of the the excellent ways in which to go about that is to look into plugging into a writer's group. And mm. you can just simply, you know, spend a little bit of time on Google just typing in the type of book you're interested in writing and seeing oh. what type of writers organizations there are. So there's you know, writing organizations for Christian romance authors. There's writing organizations for um, mystery writers. There's just one for whatever type of book you're interested in. So plugging into that is helpful. They will offer conferences or all kinds of webinars and things online that will be great resources about the craft. There are also a myriad of craft books available through the library. So going to the library and checking out books on the craft of writing fiction and reading several. So if you read one, you'll get one person's idea about how to write fiction. But if you read 10, then you'll have a much better understanding of many different approaches to the craft of writing fiction. So the more of those you can read and learn from, the better. Mm -hmm. Once you have a handle on craft, it's great to uh, become connected with a critique group of mm-hmm. fellow fiction writers who can Ooh. help give you feedback on your work. Yes. That's really helpful. I also think 
that it's important to be writing. So it's not acceptable just to study craft and just to join a writer's organization, but you learn through practicing. Mm -hmm. And so I do recommend the approach that I took back in the day when I was aspiring, and that is sit down, write one book from start to finish, rewrite that book from start to finish, and then move on to the next. With every completed book you finish, you learn an exponential amount. And so that is such an important, important piece of the process. And so if you, if you have a dream of writing and you're just not sure how to integrate it into your schedule, mm-hmm. my suggestion is to um, make a plan and set a goal that is very manageable. So maybe you'll say to yourself, I want to write one hour this whole week and I'm going to do it on this day and in this place. And then you just fulfill that goal. And over time, if you fall in love with it, you might be able to expand that goal into more hours per week or more pages per week. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's helpful to just make it a regular practice Mm -hmm. and to complete one manuscript after another. So those would be my tips. I really think it's important to study craft, to plug into a writer's organization, and to actually be writing. And then once you're at a point where the feedback is such that people are telling you, this is excellent, this is publishable, Mm -hmm. that's when you can begin to submit. And so you'll need to study the market. There's a book called Writer's Market, which tells you all of the outlets, traditional publishing outlets for your work. And if you're a Christian writer, there's one called Christian Writers Market Guide that does the very same thing. And that's where you'll learn which literary agents are out there, which publishers are out there, which publishers will accept unagented submissions and which will not. And all of kind of the ins and outs of the business side. Oh, that is so, so awesome and such great tips for anyone who's listening, kind of thinking of the publishing route. It's so fun for me to listen in as you've really done it kind of big. I I really wanted to have a book in hand and did the self-publishing route, which is really fun and and great. No, no publisher. But I think that doing it this way, there's, you can do it anyway, and it's great to have and hold a book, but the element of having so many eyeballs, regardless of how you're going to put out a book, the team around you is key. And I love that Becky, you have real professionals around you. I mean, I had my mom, my husband, check this, read this. And I love just the the idea of that teamwork around you. And I don't want to miss something that you just said, because I think it can be challenging for people sometime. And I'm just curious if it came easy to you because writing is so personal. But one of the things you just said, and some people might have been like, oh gosh, getting into a group that can critique your writing. How did you get to a place that that was something, I don't know, does it come easy to you? Was that early in your writing career that you really accepted that you wanted critiques, you wanted feedback, or is that something you had to work on? Because I don't know that that comes naturally for all writers. Well, I love that question. And I love that you brought up the fact that you self-published your book. I just Mm -hmm. want to say that that is a wonderful thing that has happened in the world of publishing since I began. Because when I was telling you about back in the 90s, the fact that you could only 
get your work distributed if you were with a traditional publisher made it so hard for people to actually produce books and get their stories or their nonfiction works out there into the hands of people. It was such a tiny minority of people that were ever, um, that ever saw their book in print. Right. And with the advent of self-publishing that has changed completely and self-publishing is such a wonderful and viable option for anyone who wants to create a book. And I'm just, I'm thankful for it because it's really been a huge benefit to writers everywhere. So that is absolutely a, um, a great route for anyone to consider also. But whether you are doing self-publishing or traditional publishing, I do think that getting honest critiques is a really key part of the process. For me, I got to a point when I was aspiring to become published where I'd been, I'd probably written a couple of manuscripts at that time. For sure, I'd written one whole manuscript and was working on the second. And I got desperate for anyone with a pulse to read my book. <laughs> like I was just so eager for someone to read this. And I did what you just mentioned. I gave it to my mom. Yes. And uh, I asked her to read it because she was my longtime reading buddy. You know, she and I had always shared books and we both um, recommended books to one another and had a big passion for reading. And so she read it. But all she could really say was, and of course, she was being a supportive mom. All she could say was, it's good. Yes. And what I really, really needed was someone who had an experienced eye to come in there and give me feedback that was very concrete. And so um, it's never easy to hear negative feedback on your work. I've been doing this, you know, for 20 years or more, and it's never become easy. And yet I fully understand how very valuable that is. And so I, I do encourage people to Um, plug in with critique partners. And this is my advice when you receive a critique on your work. My advice is you don't need to defend what you've written and you don't need to explain. That is not your job when you're receiving a critique. You're simply listening and trying to hear what the other person is saying. And then later you can think on that and decide, you know, is that applicable? Were they right? Or is there some portion of that that I really feel like is is accurate and I can implement? And some Mm. portion of that that's not quite right for me in my book. And that portion I will let go. And you just have to become discerning about learning, you know, what things really are realistic and valuable and then which things maybe don't apply to your vision. Oh my gosh. That is a takeaway for everyone, not just authors, but to get that critique. And of course, this person is there to help. So it almost is taking kind of the way I would say it is taking an unoffendable approach, like let them come in and share their thoughts and just kind of hold it there. And like Becky said, you know, you can kind of move through and see if that rings true to you, are they right? Are they maybe right, but it's an opinion and you want to go with a different opinion? I remember with my book, Take Flight, my little tagline is pretty long. It's a guide to navigating post-grad life and the tools you need to launch your career. And I had an awesome 
awesome friend who is super smart and well-versed in kind of the publishing space. He said, that has got to be shorter. And he gave me a bunch of different options. And while I agreed it was long, it just resonated the most with me. And so I just kept it. But I love what you said about it's not your job to defend or explain. It's just your job to listen. So dang, if you're an author or if you're just a person, that's great advice, Becky. Oh my gosh, that's so good. Uh, Well, I have loved having you join me today on How'd She Do That? Before we wrap up, I want to know, is there anything that we haven't covered um, that you would like to just about the writing process, your books? And I can't wait to share a little bit more about you, but is there anything else you'd like to just share with my listeners? Well, I would love to encourage all of the listeners who have any interest at all in writing a book Mm. to give it a try, you know, to sit down and just begin and explore and have fun Mm -hmm. and see if maybe this can become something that you really want to chase after. You know, if this can become a big dream of yours, you won't know that for sure until you try. Mm. And so I encourage everyone out there to try. Also, I think what when I look back on my testimony and my writing story, we learn a couple of things. One, you know, <laughs> I found myself on that little Caribbean island and I had to adjust my plans for myself. And mm-hmm. I think that being willing and ready to adjust plans is sometimes really helpful as we're navigating our lives and our careers. Mm-hmm. And then At one other point in my writing career, I quit completely after I had my oldest baby and wasn't offered a new contract. And um, there are moments that feel like huge failures and enormous disappointments. But again, in navigating life and career, sometimes those things can lead to something really, really beautiful. And that's what happened in my case. So yeah, just a willingness to adjust plans and maybe embrace something that wasn't quite what you expected. And also when you encounter failures to understand that failure is not final, that Mm. it's a stepping stone. And sometimes it's a stepping stone that can lead you somewhere great. Oh, failure is not final, you guys. I think failure can be something, especially as women, we tend to want to steer clear of. And often, I think men will kind of go at it again and again and again and not feel so bad about failing. But I think failure, like you just said, Becky, failure is not final. It's a stepping stone to something else better for you the next season of life. And it's so cool, Becky, to hear your story and to see how God's hand was over all of it and how you've encouraged so many. It's incredible to kind of think of your career trajectory. So again, thank you for coming on today. I know that this is going to be a funny question. And as an author, I wonder if it ever gets annoying, but you just launched a book. So you have a new book out. Stay with me. Congratulations. What else can we be expecting? What else is on the table for you? Is there a book tour in the works? What does this look like? What might be next for you? I am currently actually finishing up the book that comes after Stay With Me, 
Stay With Me is the first book in my series about those five kids that were trapped by the earthquake when they were young. And so the heroine of Stay With Me is one of those five kids. And I'm finishing up the book that comes after, which will be called Let It Be Me. I'm rewriting it now before submitting it to my publisher. Okay. And then the next step in the process will be receiving all of their revision requests and rewriting it again. So that's what's coming up next for me. I'm also going to be taking off some time this summer just to rest and recharge. I find that that's really important for my creativity is just to have a break every summer and spend time with family. So those are the things that are coming up. And then I'll launch into the writing of the third novel in the series in the fall. Oh my gosh. Well, we have so much to look forward to. I am curious, last kind of thought of the the conversation would be something that I ask all of my guests. Many of my listeners are uh, young moms. We've got recent graduates. We've got people looking to pivot in their career. And I always kind of harp on the element of networking in my book. And then big thanks to dad for connecting you and I and being a part of my network extension. Love you, dad. I'm curious who you may know that you think should maybe come on the podcast and share their how'd she do that story. I actually have a second cousin named Lisa Whittle. And she and I are were born, I think, just a week apart. So we're almost exactly the same age. And my dad and her mom were first cousins. Amazingly, she went on to become a Christian nonfiction writer. So she writes these wonderful um, books for women that are really encouraging and enlightening. And I went on to write Christian fiction. So (laughs) she and I are the same age. We're related. And um, we're both working in Christian writing. Just she's nonfiction and I'm fiction. And so she's a she has a wonderful, wonderful ministry that she's been growing and she writes and speaks and all of that great stuff. So she would be a wonderful person to know. Oh, well, thank you, Becky. You all will have to stay tuned. Perhaps we will have Lisa on as well. And Becky, I know that everyone listening has been so encouraged today, and I'm sure some are going to want to reach out. I know many are going to want to grab your book. What is the best way to stay in touch with you? You can find me at beckywade.com. That's my website. And you can connect with me there to my social media platforms. And then also my email address is becky at beckywade.com, which you can find on my website too. And so getting in touch with me through those routes is probably the best. But I love to hear from from people. And um, if I can offer any more guidance to any of you, I would be more than happy to do that. Awesome. Well, Becky, thank you so much for your time today. Again, I know that everyone is going to be encouraged, inspired, and ready to get going after hearing your story. So thank you again for coming on. How'd she do that? You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Bye. Thank you all for listening to today's episode of How'd She Do That? I am Emily Landers. You can follow me on Instagram at Emily Landers and the podcast at How'd She Do That Podcast. Please join us next Tuesday for a new episode. I will talk to you soon.